0: From Gross Studios in Ypsilanti, I'm John Bomarito, and this is Acoustic Alternatives, the podcast that is done from the studios that are best used by local musicians in the Ann Arbor, Detroit area for practicing outside of the garage. Get into the studio, get out of the garage, something like that. That's a phrase that they say around here, and it's a great place. I actually gave my my guest a little quick tour of the shipping container sized rooms back there. And uh, I'm excited to have as my guest on Acoustic Alternatives,
1: Glenn Phillips is here. How do you do? I do well. How do you do? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to acclimate to the cold. Uh, <laughs> California boy. I am a California
0: boy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a song in there, but that's, no, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> so Glenn, I, I find out today as I'm uh, prepping for the, uh, the studio here that uh, one of the co-owners of this place, uh, Rick, is such a huge fan that in his band practices with his band, The Day Nights. He brings up Toad the Red Sprocket every time. So I, I didn't know that because I don't come to their band practices. That is very flattering. <laughs> so I'm sure they're excited to have you as uh, as, as I am. And uh, last night, although I was unable to make it, uh, the day before this was recorded, you were playing at The Arc and my good friend Kylie Phillips was opening. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about my other good friend, Brad Phillips, and all these great Phillipses that should record together. So many of us.
1: I'll <laughs> we'll add Sam, Grant Lee... Uh, it'll be a, a mess of Phillips's. Lovers of horses. It'd be apparently. a good band. I guess that's what the name means. Lover of horses. Phillips means that? I'm hoping it's not like lover of horses, lover, lover. Oh, but yes. I think it's just one, one who Loves appreciates horses. horses. Yes. That's awkward. It's awkward, uh, but that was that was the direct translation I found. In any event,
0: mine's apparently "good husband" from Italian to English. Okay. That's a little tough. That's not a "good husband" isn't
1: the worst. No, it's not. It's just pressure. Yeah, it, it is. It is pressure, but it's better than like you know, lifelong philanderer.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the new album, which
0: has been available since October something. I forget mm-hmm. when it came out. You probably remember. There's So Much Here is uh, is the new album. The 22nd year in his solo career, he's made his newest record. And Glenn has uh, an excellent release to, that we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about recording this one.
1: Uh, well, the recording was done at Bocce Studios in Vancouver, Washington. It's just across the Columbia from uh, from Portland. Uh and I'm trying to remember what the old label was. Apparently before West Coast Country Music moved down to Bakersfield, it was centered in Vancouver because Vancouver was where all the railroads crossed. Um, and so this uh, uh, is a studio is owned by my friend, John Morgan Askew, um, and he asked me to come up he'd been babysitting a lot of my gear for Mm. a long time so uh he wanted me to come up and record with it (laughs) and um come play with your toys yeah come play with my toys and uh so went up there and uh i got together a bunch of songs from a songwriting game i've been involved in uh led by matt the electrician so bob schneider invented the game and matt is also in bob's game but he runs his own Uh, and so there's like 20 of us and every week Matt sends out a prompt and we all write something, uh, using that as kind of the, you know, the little piece of dust in the middle of the snowflake. (laughs) And so, uh, it's always a little surprising to see what comes out of it. And I, you know, a lot of these songs I just hadn't thought of since I wrote, Uh, I'd written them they kind of had served their purpose and it was really great to kind of come back and see uh number one that I'd been writing a lot more love songs than I thought I had uh and that I'd kind of stopped writing songs about um uh, you know songs about my divorce or loss or depression and that, that I'd turned some corner and I only kind of you know, my forensic evidence of turning the corner was this <laughs> this collection of songs. Well, I'm glad for that. Yeah, me too. Is there one you'd like to play? Uh, yes, I will do Sound of Drinking. All the rest. Uh, th- that title came in and I was like, ah, everybody's going to write about a bar. So I, I need to not write about a bar. So it <clears throat> was much more about uh, the lockdown year, which was the most time I'd spent at home, uh, since, uh, my youngest daughter was born, uh, probably actually more time than that. I moved in with my fiance and, um, you know, just got to notice little things for the first time in a long time. Uh, I, I love my job and my life, but it's a lot of peak experience and, uh, I am slowly having to train myself to, to value, um, I know intrinsically I've read I've done a lot of reading you know Payma Chodron and Mary Oliver and I've, I've noticed that a lot of people write about noting the small things <laughs> and I'm really trying to make my own practice of it more um, so that's where this goes <laughs>
2: So this is what it's like now Without the constant leaving To sit and sense the seasons To be here merely be The sound of drinking water turning of the leaves the movement of the moon the spaces in between the long Upon my shoulder And slipping into sleep To drift within my thoughts And listen to you breathe Coffee in the bedroom Swaying of the pie the Freedom from the weighing And the measuring of time The long so much So much here that I had never seen
0: Beautiful new song from Glenn Phillips and the album There Is So Much Here, The Sound of Drinking is the name of the track. And uh, Glenn is my guest on Acoustic Alternatives here at Grove Studios. Glenn, thank you so much again for being here today. Thank you. I know it's your day off in between shows, and you could have done anything but this, but I'm I'm grateful. Quite honestly, it's it's an honor for me to to have interviewed you more than once in my lifetime. Thank you. And,
1: You're kind. Well, I was going to go curling, but it's not quite cold enough yet. <laughs> It's pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> 26 <laughs> degrees of my drive here. Pretty cold. So <laughs>
0: I was doing a bit of research about uh, younger Glenn, who I didn't know. Uh, and I found out that there was a love of theater in your background, which I did not know in, in times I've talked to you.
1: Yeah, the band all met in high school theater. I was into acting since I was a kid, uh, you know, grade school, junior high, um, and always thought I'd end up. In the arts, uh, when I was in high school, I kind of assumed I would be, uh, I, I wanted to teach high school uh, arts and social sciences. I, I thought that I, I had a real love for the arts, but I knew I didn't have any hustle, and I knew I was probably too sensitive to withstand a career in the arts. <laughs> or, uh, with <laughs> what? Is, or with students. Or with students. Well, students I could handle. I can kind of handle, how can I say... When, when things are actually difficult or there's a real problem, I'm not I'm not a total uh, loser. what what uh, where I get caught up is in empty space. If I have too much free time, my mind wanders mm. and uh, it starts to eat itself. And so uh, the hurry up and wait nature of a career in the arts and also the, you know you you are kind of literally offering yourself up for the random judgments of others and uh, that can be really hard on the soul unless you have a certain kind of um, armor or ego and I'm not well armored and uh, I probably have some ego but it's more like you know there's the inherent narcissism of depression Uh, which is, you know, the thought that your suffering is somehow greater than other people's. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I know that feeling, actually. Yeah, it's a trip, like how egotistical depression is, right? Um, I mean, and everybody suffers. It's, you know, noble truth number one. Um, I mean, really even trippy in the last week, just playing these shows and thinking, of the audience and there's been kind of since I did the live casts, this amount of um, you know kind of personal access that's larger than I've ever really had and um, it's you know looking into a crowd and realizing like okay I know he lost his spouse a year ago this guy just lost both his parents in the last year this guy just lost his father this guy's Um, suffering from a potentially fatal illness this like uh, there's a woman (laughs) who just lost her brother like and being intimate enough with the audience at this point that I know a lot of the grief profiles and I remember just uh, it's as someone who wants to be open but also sometimes it's it's there's an overwhelm in in holding that space for people and um knowing that m- my music has the you know has the same meaning for them in some ways that it has for me i write the songs i need to hear it's my therapy is having my kind of you know future higher self write me letters <laughs> uh and uh, and you know also knowing the the function music has in my life you know how um it helps me go through my own grief, my own challenges, my own, um, you know, need to kind of inspire myself further. And uh, so that that's hard when you're a sensitive person. That can be a lot. <laughs> and um, so it's been... Really interesting to have found that kind of despite all my efforts of sabotage, I'm still a performer (laughs) and making (laughs) art publicly. Uh, And you know, I I plan on hiding in the school, but the idea of high school kids scared me far less than the idea of reviews. You know, interesting Um, because you know they'll dress you down, but you know they're they're kids, and it's different than someone whose job is to poke holes in artists. You know, telling you that your work is irrelevant or poor um yeah
0: just i always remember that everyone has an opinion it doesn't have to match mine it just it's, it's an opinion
1: and i oh, know that's true I,
0: I get it i mean I, I have people that critique me too I don't do what you do but there's still people that say, i don't like what you do but
1: yeah and some of it i find <laughs> as i get older i'm easier to write it off and he, and he even like to point out in a good review it's like good reviews can be just as off-base as bad reviews um but uh It is a strange, you know. We had talked, or I had talked earlier with you about, you know, the the thing about a performer being um, that people often think performers are, you know, soaking up all this attention when they're on stage, and that I've found that the what makes me the best performer is having enough skill that I can disappear and kind of let um, let practice and ability kind of take over and disappear into a song and kind of st- cease to exist for a minute. And so it's it's about, um, you know, good performance for me is allowing myself to kind of stop existing long enough to let the song come through me. Mm. And um, also probably part of it is, I think, if, if you're dealing with, um, you know, these... Feelings of inadequacy of facing your fear of judgment for other people by being in front of them and and having to disappear into your art in order or order not to feel judged. And, you know, still sometimes if somebody laughs in an opportune time, I feel like, oh, God, they just came here to make fun of me instead of going like, no, it's probably their birthday. They bought a ticket. They're having a nice night out. (laughs) Having a (laughs) drink. Yeah. But I mean, those insecurities, you know, I, I think. Facing those insecurities and, you know, the same way I spent a lot of time in in, uh, yurts after my divorce and, uh, you know, there's, uh, I don't know if you've ever sat in a sweat lodge or, um, I mean, there are all these practices that are um, about building resilience, spiritual practices that are arduous Mm. and uh, in the indigenous world, uh, most most spiritual practices are not easy they're not simple they're they take hours and they take extreme discomfort and um getting to experience i think practices that ask a lot of you and ask you to maintain your presence through discomfort or just simply to willingly step into discomfort um there's a lot to be learned by that, and so uh, as I'd said earlier, thinking of people like free climbers, thinking of people who train for athletic events, um, who do things that are, um, you know, stressful and unpleasant, uh, willfully uh, because it shows them where their edge is and shows them the, their own capacity and resilience. Um, you know, I think that the dangers of a, a comfort-based culture are that our resilience uh, gets tested in times that are uh, really vital. And I think there's something about having a practice of stepping into discomfort uh, when the stakes are a little less that allows you to have more resilience when when you, you need to show up for other people and when your life depends on it. Yeah.
0: Well, we learned uh, in that... Beginning of that question that you met the band? Oh, theater, yes. theater. In theater. <laughs> I went somewhere you else. You did? Okay, that's okay. I was just going to ask about what, you're, like, Mamma Mia, Jersey Boys. There's there's musicals based on bands' outputs, and maybe because you you tell your life story a lot in your songs jagged little pill
1: is yeah a musical. i don't know, would, know if would've... toad would make a good musical it's a lot of negative ideation <laughs> i mean it's funny i look back on the old songs and there's definitely there's songs like throw it all away or or um you know uh i will not take these things for granted all i want even all i want is a very conditional kind of happiness the verses are very much about you know nothing so loud as hearing when we lie nothing so hard as closing the heart when all we need is to free the soul but we wouldn't be that brave like it's it's not all roses uh, and it, it's interesting for me to sing those songs I'm, I'm really happy uh, to be able to sing them from people and to know that you know since there's this generation that heard them when they were in their early 20s you know same age I was um the songs you hear at that age lodge in you forever. And they're this, even regardless of the lyric, I think they're this form of. Um, this is my new theory, is that uh, while memory tends to be negatively biased, um, you know, that, that uh, we remember difficult or painful things more vividly than we remember happy things. And. Um, mm. Got that from psychology. I didn't make it up. <laughs> and negative bias is something we need to consciously overcome. It's a practice. Uh, it's why people do gratitude practices. Mm. It's why people do affirmations. Is because um, it requires more flexing of the muscle to to practice gratitude. Mm. Um, negativity comes easily. Um, you know, it's why mindfulness is a practice. The, the be- people talk about like the default state of the mind. Um, you know default network state actually tends to go into past and future uh, rumination and negative thoughts worry about the future regret of the past that's the default state it's called hmm. the default state right hmm. um <clears throat> and so when can we, left- can we fix that <laughs> is there a switch well we can uh and it's things like mindfulness prayer gratitude Uh, these things are practices. As my therapist says, practice makes practice. Uh, It does not make perfect. It just makes practice. I'm trying to remember where I was going with all this. Uh, I I look at those old songs. Oh, What I was going to say is my new theory on music is that music is actually, I think, kind of, Especially the music we heard when we were young and we were forming into adults. Those last few years in our early 20s mm-hmm. when our prefrontal cortex is fully wired. and our, you know, By 25 is kind of the time at which our mind is mostly, uh, mostly set in its structure. And the, the songs we heard back then, they take us back in a really tender way to those times, mm-hmm. in a positive way. That rather than the memories of trauma, even if it's a hard song, a sad song, a breakup song, they take us there, with a certain kind of longing and positivity, and an eye towards the wonder and the, um, the, uh, that feeling of possibility and hope that tends to come with that age, and music. It just shortcuts that doesn't matter what the song is about like the songs you heard and you loved then they take you right back to a time full of hope and possibility um it's a really powerful tool and i've started looking at you know toad as being as much as i love being a songwriter and continuing to write uh that the function of the old songs which i used to hold you know, in some spreadsheet of success against the success of my solo material and always be frustrated, right? Um, But to respect that these songs kind of lodged in people's minds at that sensitive age, that my voice singing those songs is a form of positive time travel and kind of self-healing for people that Mm. I finally, I think, respect in a way that it doesn't have anything to do with how good my songs are now or where I've gone as a human being it just happens to be uh a bit of luck that I was able to be there uh at that time for people and and contain some of that material for them so it makes me feel better about playing the old songs but I also tend to listen to them and think like man I was negative back then (laughs) And I, I still have all that tendency, but I try to think a lot more consciously about what I put out in the world. Um, you know, maybe less so with this record. Um, you know, this did happen to be songs that were just sitting in a folder. <laughs> but um by and large, I want to say things to myself and to other people that aren't that are maybe less about wallowing in the pain and more about you know, kind of seeking towards the light, although people tend to say that the Toad songs always had the light. It was hidden. It was behind the clouds, but it was there. They could see
0: it. <laughs> Even if you couldn't see it, it was yeah. there.
1: So I also learned while I was doing a bit of research
0: that uh, you spent some, I'm not quite sure how this fits into your like teenage years, but you spent some time at Interlochen here in Michigan going to school. Is I did true? two
1: summers. Summer after, I was intermediate division. I was a musical theater major, and uh did dance and art and all the other stuff you do there uh but yeah I, uh, summer after uh 7th and 8th grade oh. I begged my parents to let me go to academy I wanted to go to academy so bad <laughs> and uh we didn't have the money for it so mm. I didn't but yeah. Interlochen's
0: uh, pretty good though
1: I loved interlocking.
0: how did you choose that over the other choices <clears throat> it's pretty uh, far away from your childhood home
1: it was far away. Part of it was I loved the idea of going away for eight weeks. I felt very independent. I wanted to see what it was like. I was not a homesick kid. My parents are great and loving, but uh, I was ready to be out in the world. And uh, I I loved that experience. I loved... I mean, it's a great combination, I think, of uh, rigor and freedom and structure, you know, and... Uh, and everybody there was good at what they were doing and invested and smart and i think even that just you know i grew up back when back before nerds took over the world (laughs) and uh it was harder to be a nerd back then uh you know you you suffered a little for it you got Mm -hmm. made fun of and beaten up for it and yeah, um, I was a smart
0: kid up until sixth grade, and then there were other smarter kids. So I, I kind of remember that.
1: But too. I loved getting the challenge of being at Interlochen, like that. You know, these these kids were deep involved in the arts, and they were proud of it and happy about it. it, it that feeling of camaraderie, that wanting to make something beautiful, wasn't lame. It was it was wonderful. Nice. Um, and I got to go back there years later. The only time I've been back since was. Uh, I did a show with uh, Ben Folds. Ooh! I opened for him, and I should have drove for that show. <laughs> it was great. They'll never have him back. Of course not. Because uh, he's got a mouth. <laughs> he's got a mouth, and if you tell him to shut it, forget it. Then then it's game on. And he he was great. And the kids, they were the campers were standing on their seats cheering, and their counselors were trying to get him to sit down. And he just, he held, he didn't hold a single punch because he knew they were him. He was pulling out all the Gershwin references, all the classical references. He let them know that he was them and that they didn't have to be what other people said they needed to be. And I think he, he changed their lives with yep. that concert. I and I remember the docents coming up afterwards and saying, I enjoyed your songs. Don't ever get dirty like him. <laughs> so they haven't asked me back but i hope they will i would love to i would love to teach there but man they needed ben they needed him and he just he He delivered (laughs) oh my god it was so great to see i just kept thinking if he had played there like when if when i was a kid there like you know we need i know a guy who's a song leader He's like 84, he does um, you know, this community song leading in, in Port Townsend, leads grief ceremonies. Uh, Lawrence Cole, he's like 84, he's awesome. Um, but he calls himself a permissionary. Uh,
0: <laughs> That's an interesting term, I like that. His
1: job is to remind you as much as possible that you are already free. <laughs> and uh, you can be the person you are, and you don't have to ask for permission for that. And, I will. Uh, I could have used a bit more of that at that age and I would have, man, if I'd seen Ben, that would have saved me years of therapy. Yeah.
0: Well, let's pretend you're at Interlaken right now. What song are you playing to the crowd?
1: Oh, and right. play it. <laughs> right now? <laughs> Something from the new album. Something from the new album. Uh... I was
0: segueing back into you playing a song. How's that?
1: Yeah, I'll try that. I don't know. I haven't played this one much. I would play this one at Interlochen because it has some fancy chord changes you gotta wait for them but this is this is the one I would play to be like listen I learned theory
2: so (laughs) wake your better angels from their dreaming let them walk the path that they've been seeking center of the circle the moment of your making Living in the layers Giving in the taking Gather up your courage Find your wisdom Scatter all your seeds Send your vision Turning of the planet shifting of the seasons Loving and believing You'll never know the reason Tomorrow is too late You can feel it in your bones That everything is changing, changing now is over even as it happens. The center of the circle, the moment of your making, the giving and the taking, the living and the laying. Tomorrow is too late You can feel it in your bones That everything is changing, changing Wake your better angels from their dreaming Let them walk the path they've been seeking
0: Center of the Circle, new music from Glenn Phillips from the album, There is So Much Here. On Acoustic Alternatives, I'm John Bomarito. Acoustic Alternatives podcast is recorded at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. Highly encouraged as a place to check out if you're in the Detroit, Ann Arbor area and looking for a place to do a podcast, for instance, or if you're a band, even a DJ. They have rooms for DJs to come practice and blast their speakers at full volume, which happened to me once during an interview here. Oops. (laughs) It can happen. But it's a really cool place in Ypsilanti, and I strongly encourage people to check it out if they get a chance. Thank you for doing that song. That's actually one of my very favorites on the record. Thank you. i wonder some lyrics wrong, but whatever. I d- <coughs> sh- don't tell you that's life, that's life. Uh, is there a, s- a song circle inspiration with that song is that what Center of the Circle because I know you're doing some song circles at some point
1: oh yeah uh, well and we can go into that uh, I mean the title once again every title yeah. it's, uh, not all the titles are the choruses of these songs uh, but all of these titles were from this songwriting game with Matt the Electrician so um, he handed out the title Center of the Circle and and you went for it and that's what came out all of these songs were you know surprises to me you get the title and you I mean I I think I described it before as it's like the dust in the snowflake right (laughs) it's the nucleating agent Uh, and um, I mean already when I write songs there's this element of surprise right where you start trying to write about something and then a, a line that feels good or true comes up and then I will put whatever I intended writing about on the shelf and serve the line that works and uh, let it take me where the song itself needs to go. Um, and so writing from these titles is its a fascinating thing, is to see what that line ends up meaning, ends up being about. Um, and a lot of them go back you know, to mindfulness, to presence, to gratitude. That seems to be my subject over and over right now is... Um, you know, the solution, my, my greatest problem, I mean, there are the problems of the world, but my inability to face those problems or the, the general difficulties of life in a, in a better and more productive way is mostly about me um, feeling inadequate or worrying about the past or future. Um, and when I'm present, Uh, everything gets a little better uh, you know Uh, and so it's uh, the closest I found it's not a solution to everything but it's the closest I found to a practice that um, has a tangible benefit and uh, you know uh, I I, you know the more I've I've looked into spiritual teachers they they tend to say the same things over and over again Mm -hmm. even if it's just Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is within you right depending on your translation, but I choose to think that within you is the most accurate, um, which is saying everything you have, the kingdom of heaven, the greatest thing you could possibly imagine, the true meaning of all of this, you are already carrying inside of you. It is sitting in this moment and opening yourself up and losing the illusion. And that, as, as Guns N' Roses so beautifully put it all those years ago, who knew? Uh, <laughs> and so um, you know that that to me is the primary subject and I just keep attacking it from different angles hmm. so
0: well done yeah the new album is excellent so there's Thank so you. much here
1: and in the meantime I will say before we go further about community singing yeah. and singing circles I yeah. started leading those I guess maybe oh god seven years ago now six years ago um, <clears throat> community singing is something I really fell in love with it's um tends to be these very simple songs like a good example there's a and they tend to be fairly uplifting after years of singing sad songs i realized i i could also feel happy by singing happier songs uh and uh community singing is kind of there there are these songs they're designed to be taught quickly to have non-singers be able to sing them uh and to be Um, you know, just complicated enough that it takes your attention and just simple enough that you can learn them quickly. So a lot of these songs will have like three contrapuntal parts, three interweaving melodies, because it's easier for non-musicians to do a counter melody than it is to do a harmony. Harmony tends to be harder to hold. Um, And, you know, we gather for usually an hour and a half, um, probably do about 10 songs in that time you know, learning, building, teaching, and they tend to be just four lines long at the longest. They Mm -hmm. tend to be pretty short, and we just repeat them for a while. And so it's, for people who grew up in church, it's a very similar uh, feeling to that, but kind of with less dogma, or (laughs) as little dogma as I could put in. Hopefully dogma reduced, or uh, I don't know if it's ever zero. Dogma light. I talk a lot. But, um, yeah, it, it, and it allows people, it's also it's not a performance choir. Uh, there's no uh, performer and audience. There is a leader to hold things together and keep everybody on the beat and moving along, but uh, it's music that is made for the sake of making music, which is, I think, how most music was made until very recently. You know, somebody was asking me recently how I felt about Spotify and the new, you know, is TikTok ruining music? Is it? And I have my feelings about Spotify. They're very personal. But uh, the off, off mic, we'll talk about. Yes. That. <laughs> but um, it's how can I say this? Like the recording of music, I think, is the most damaging thing ever to happen to music. And I say this as a recording artist who loves being in the studio. And I looked
0: at you with the dog.
1: What? Yeah. What? (laughs) But the recording of music has made it so that people feel it professionalized music. And I I don't feel bad about being a professional musician. I think there have always been people who could embody music more deeply, who did write more songs, who could sing in a compelling way and be heard. that kind of a storyteller's always been around and that's that's fine i i i think that's very honorable but what people lost with recorded music was that ability to go home to go like oh what do you want to put on for you know while i'm cooking dinner what do you want to hear it's like well I could play you these songs <laughs> you it was something that people were compelled to learn on their own and share together. Hmm. And it's something that historically has been shared, whether it's in ceremony or religious service or working or weaving or cooking Hmm. or growing or whatever it was that people did, music is at the core of every human society and music is a birthright, music is something shared. And to see people who are told that they don't have a good voice so they shouldn't sing Uh, that they're not worthy of it, that that desire they have, even if it doesn't sound awesome, uh, everyone has the right to sing and to belong and to be part of raising your voice with other people, to make something that ends up being really beautiful, Mm. more beautiful than anybody could do together. And those voices combine into something so powerful. And when you see people sing for each other, not sing for an audience, not have that idea that the reason to practice is to, to be seen by others, right? That the reason to practice together is to practice together, is to sing together. And people get so high making music together. And I mean, the, you know, part of the secret to being a musician, this is the best drug. There's no hangover. There's no downside. All it does is make you feel better and to give lay people that experience that this culture and in, to some degree the advent of recorded music has taken from their lives
2: mm.
1: we don't go to the pub and sing together anymore you know it, it will do you know
2: bop bop
1: bop you know sweet right. Carolina right. or whatever right. but I think for the vast majority of you know people especially in America we've we've lost that tie to to being, and even lost that tie to understanding each other. When you harmonize with people, when you make music with them, when you sing together, it helps you to look at them in a more kindly way. <laughs> and uh, I think it's the quickest way to build community. I think it's the quickest way to build a bond. I think it's the quickest way. You know, literally, you're regulating people's breathing, heartbeats. The vagal nerve is stimulated. <laughs> it's such good medicine and like most medicines i think we take these things that are medicines and we turn them into products and drugs <laughs> and uh once again this is not telling people not to buy my record <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh i i still you know uh, Mouths like, to feed, so it, yeah. <laughs> it does, and and I love what I do, and I think it's useful to people. But it's to say also, if you can find community singing or a community choir, a natural voice choir, that doesn't have an audition, that says you're good as you are, and your voice is worthy because of what it means when you raise it up hmm. and what you can do, and there are projects like that, powerful projects, even protest things. Uh, Sarah Lee Guthrie had a thing called the hoping machine for mm. a while. It was, uh, she would train hundreds of singers. They would bus into D.C. and they would learn mm. protest songs mm. and, and you know community action songs. And she would seed these larger protests with singers who would just go into the crowd and start singing together. Mm. Easy songs for other people until you would have this phalanx of song <laughs> coming down. It's a powerful thing uh and i I think uh i i'm not a conspiracy theory person so i don't think that this is you know there's people who are like no tuning in 440 that was goebbels that was this nazi probably like i don't believe in any of that uh but i think technology has given us these tools of convenience that have allowed us to stop making music together and uh We lose a lot when we do that. I still believe in concerts. I still believe in listening to records. I'm gonna get in my car and drive to Grand Rapids tomorrow and I'm gonna listen to music. I love it. But uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't sing together. And I think we forgot that uh, we need to do that. So there's my spiel. That's a great (laughs) great perspective. It actually called
0: to mind two things in my own personal life that I experience as a concert goer when we're encouraged to sing along Mm -hmm. or we're taught something to sing along to. There's that community that happens. Even if we all can't sing, like you said, we're all singing that person's song with them, and it's so fun. And as a wedding DJ, sometimes they'll play Sweet Caroline or Piano Man or whatever, which are not dancing songs by any stretch of the imagination. No, but they're singing songs. But they're singing songs, and that's good for the end of the night. And people just like, ah, oh, they all sway with each other. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's exactly It's amazing.
1: Right. It makes people so vulnerable. And happy. And happy. And we... Don't do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember Sean Watkins w- was talking to me about you know growing up in the church and singing, you know, Christian songs, only listening to Christian music, doing this thing in church. And every time he would sing these songs, he would be taken by the spirit. And then he went to his first secular concert. You know, he got to go to YouTube. They were on the safe list, yes. and he went to the YouTube concert and he heard the entire audience singing, and he had this. Like a lightning bolt of, Mm. oh my God, that's just
2: music? Like anyone has access to this? This is not, like, I thought that you could only get this if you were, but this is everywhere. Mm. This is music itself. Mm -hmm. And it completely changed his life. So. Yeah.
0: Well, since you brought up u can I can segue to where I was wanting, wanting okay. to go. So 87 was when Draftsha Tree came out and they became the biggest band on the planet. Mm-hmm. 88 is when you put out your first record as an 18-year-old mm-hmm. with your band, Bread and Circus. And I'm wearing the Circus Bread and Circus shirt that I got back when I worked in a record store. And the, the discovery for everybody for a new band or a new song or whatever comes from somewhere. We all discover something somewhere. But uh, I was a head buyer at a record store at this time. And your record label sent me a... Cassette with one minute samples of songs, so I could decide how many I wanted to pre-order. Mm. And there was sixty second samples of one little girl, and I actually forgot what other song was on there, but sixty seconds, I became a fan, oh, and God. I've been a fan since nineteen eighty eight because of that. I was yeah, so excited did. for that album to come out. Like, what is this? Who are they? I didn't know who you were because you were new, and it was just that discovery moment for me. Did you have <laughs> as? Did you have any idea what you were doing at that point in your life? Did you know what was ahead? I mean, could, oh God, could, no. Could I mean, know?
1: that album was recorded. Uh, Our friend, we were playing around town. I mean, we were so accidental. Once again, (laughs) I would planned. I I didn't want to be in the spotlight. I I knew I was too sensitive. I knew it would mess me up, Uh, Hmm. and it kind of did. And depression. But uh, we made that first record because our friend Brad Knack, he had a solo project, and he needed a backup band for two songs. And so he said, hey, if you are my backup band for two songs, uh, I'll pay you by letting you record two songs of your own live in the studios. This guy, Dave Vought, mm. uh, called it Camp David. and <laughs> It was just a track tome in, uh, in Thousand Oaks. And he had like a Flickinger console and an old Ampex 2-inch 16 track in the garage. And so we played two songs live, you know, did like a take or two each. And we're like, wow, that was easy. If we do eight more, we'll have a record. And so it cost six hundred dollars to do the Bread and Circus record. We went in and did eight That's more great. songs. That's great. And it was just fun. We had a cassette in town and we're like, ah, oh, we should make another record. Records are easy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, the second one we spent, you know, whatever it was, six thousand dollars on. Uh still recorded it live in the studio. And, you know, these are lyrics that I wrote when I was like sixteen years old on that record. And uh so we weren't expecting anything to happen. When we were recording the second record, uh, the, the guy who was producing it, Marvin Etzioni, his, uh, Ron Sobel, who worked at ASCAP, was his manager. And he gave it to this guy Nick Turzo at ASCAP, mm-hmm. uh, the Performance Rights Association. Nick started making cassette dubs in his office and sending them to record companies. On your behalf on our behalf we'd never heard of him and uh vicky hamilton at geffen who had signed you know guns and roses and stuff she heard it and showed interest and so the next thing we knew we played in santa barbara and we had like eight record companies at our show and wow we'd never sent out a demo our, wow. our plan i had applied to i was going to go to san francisco state I wanted to be in the city in San Francisco. There was so much art there. I was going to get an education degree. And uh, I was working out my housing. And instead, you know, I remember I was at Santa Barbara City College. Two of the guys were at UCSB. We did dead week. No, we flew out just before finals during dead week. We flew to New York, signed the deal with Sony Records, and then flew back to Santa Barbara, did the finals, and then within a year, you know, we released both those two records as is. We we had this punk rock, like, indie attitude. Like, we didn't uh, take money. We got a higher percentage on back. We're going to earn what we make. We don't want to play your games. And and so they gave us creative control. We got to make the records we wanted to make. uh, And... Um, you know we got we got lucky Uh, yeah the third one opened the door to the world really well the third one opened the door to the world and even then I'm going to say luck like we had our indie touring thing we were doing okay Um, but all I want was nine months into that record Uh, we'd already been touring for nine months we did more than 300 shows for the Fear record Hmm. Uh, and the company was ready to let the record go and uh tom gibson our our product manager um basically pushed for one more single said let's just see what happens and we put out all i want and that one happened to hit but even that time that was kind of just post deregulation and pre clear channel right so there was this moment where radio was extremely local, extremely reactive where college music was like breaking through and there was this they weren't calling it alternative radio, you know, it's like is it postmodern or post-pop or post-punk or and there's this group of bands um, you know making really diverse music but you know when we put that single out we were getting played on you know four or five different formats uh, you know there was a time of great freedom in radio and we really benefited from that so as much as it was hard work and making music that people liked we also despite my sabotage and i know donnie einer who ran columbia could never understand why i didn't want to be famous like i was very um Ambivalent about the experience. I, I was conflicted from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, he's used to bands who want nothing more, but yeah. like we didn't even <clears throat> get signed on purpose. We were <laughs> you know, just like caught up by this wave. And so uh, it wouldn't have happened in another time. Uh, I would have figured out a way to sabotage it. And uh, despite all my best efforts to ruin everything, <laughs> uh, we, we managed to break through. I paid for it later. Yeah. but
0: <laughs> well, I've had the pleasure of seeing the band live quite a few times over the years. In fact, I brought you on stage at the Ark at least once, wearing this shirt once, and uh-huh. I can't remember if it was Dean or, or somebody in the band basically wanted my shirt. Like, yeah. you need to give me that shirt, because it has the lyrics on the back, which apparently is rare. The, yeah, the Nomi the, shirt. The Nomi alert, yeah, yep. so. I don't know how rare that is, but uh, no,
1: that was rare. I mean, seeing that shirt in that condition—he's wearing the "Todohat Sprocket Bread and Circus," our first album, with a <laughs> painting taken from—I think it's E. Clowns. Uh, it's a, a, a Fellini movie. It's a still out of a Fellini movie, but our friend Brad, who took us into the studio and made the painting, uh, and so uh, it's a rare shirt in such good condition. I'm sure if you ever wanted a couple hundred for it, you could get it. I don't want,
0: I want to hold on to it because it means something to me. It's, it's where I discovered you. So it's, it's meaningful. I know, I know that most fans don't come to hear records when they come to a toad or even a solo Glenn show before fear. But do you ever play songs from the first two records anymore?
2: Now
1: and then, I mean, for me, those first two records are kind of like, I'm trying to remember the name of the photographer who, who did all like the naked portraits of her children. Um, she did these black and white naked portraits of her children. They're really lovely, but she has one that's of her son, and it's like the last time Caden let me shoot him nude. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but uh, there's this element of those records that it's like it's me naked at 16 and 17. It's Not you anymore. And it's not me up. anymore. And there's something I understand that the the honest flaws of those records are what make them beloved to people does
0: endearing. that make sense yeah endearing it's an enduring record it's yeah it's,
1: it's endearing they're, they're, they're not perfect i'm so this weird like almost fake english accent i didn't know who i was i was trying to be profound but the lyrics are some of them are really cringy like it's a mixed bag but i get the that the authenticity of it was what made it special uh it's just really hard to listen to oneself being super authentic at that age
0: well, it's many years later. You sound like a different <laughs> songwriter. Actually, I, I recently revisited Covered in Roses from that record just because I haven't heard it in forever. Uh, yeah. And it's like a, a, the vocals are very different than the, the man sitting in front of me because you were know,
1: a boy. Yeah, I, I, I sing a full register down now. He does.
0: But. He also has a new record called There Is So Much Here, and I think it's a good time to take a break and hear another song. if you Okay, don't mind.
1: yeah. Uh, maybe play something from the distant past or the whatever you want. near future you or play something whatever. that You've somebody got the guitar. else wrote you know what, I've been enjoying this song, so we're going to do this. Or I'll just ask, would you rather hear Peter Gabriel or um, uh, what's the other one I've been playing recently? Or uh, Paul Williams?
0: I would like both technically, but I think because the podcast doesn't pay... Royalties? Oh, I don't know. I should play I, one of mine. I, I think you should play one of yours. <laughs> as much as I would love to hear you I do under, one, of, I understand I, I the legal I necessity. I have to think about whether I get in trouble for that. So I don't, yeah, you I don't, got it.
1: I don't want no, to do that. No, you got it. I would love to hear either of those. Well, uh, <laughs> let's let's play the song that started
2: it all. Nothing so loud. Searing when we lie. Truth is not kind. You send Iver my yeah, care outside so saw saying everything she soul song confessing every
0: a clap but that would be weird <laughs> glenn phillips is here on acoustic alternatives at uh, grove studios all i want obviously a big hits for Toad the wet sprocket and does it ever cross your mind that that song and walk in the ocean are being played on the radio somewhere right now probably somewhere across america it's weird i mean every day somewhere somebody's playing that song it's a strange thing to think of hopefully that requires that they pay
1: you a little bit of money uh yes. radio yes yes ask yes. bmi whatever. uh the streams
0: not so much. Not so much. That's another topic. We don't have time for that. I'm already Just, looking at the, gosh, we've been talking a long time. and I have another put them, page. Put them on, put them on at night. <coughs> <Put> <coughs> yes. Them, put, sleep, sleepify. Sleepify. You you know that trick. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good one. All right. Well, I since we're kind of running out of time, I'm going to kind of combine a bunch of things that I was going to ask you about. Um the solo material versus the band material, I noticed that it's kind of an almost like an even balance of how many solo albums and how many band albums have come out, although it depends on how you count the EPs. But there was one I didn't know existed, the uh, Tornillo. It, did kind of, yeah. Tornillo. it yeah. turned into something else. What happened to the original? It was, it's a story um, I, I never asked you about.
1: Yeah, I had a bunch of songs. I went down to Texas to record with David Garza. He produced that record. Okay. Um, amazing musician. He's... he's a bit, wonderful guy phenomenal musician we were kind of in different modes and places it wasn't like the record i expected i was in a really deep depression at the time um and i just came back and i realized i I didn't want to put it out it wasn't the right record um And I made another record that I have, like, mixed feelings about. I loved uh, Winter Pace for Summer. I worked with John Fields. He's a great producer, and it was much more kind of slick pop record. Um, And probably somewhere in between those records is where I might have wanted to exist. uh, You know, a little less polished, but also not so rough. Um, But it was... A group of songs I really believed in, and so, um, and at that time too. I mean, I had you know once again three kids. I I did want to be a little more ambitious, you know, if not, uh, not for my own ego, just just to be like, you know, Toad wasn't together. It's like, can I ever tour with a band? Can I, you know, can I do this thing? Can yeah. I continue to support my family, or do I have to figure out how to start from scratch? And so, uh, and Tornillo wasn't the right record for that um but a lot of those songs ended up on on uh on the next record and um
0: re-recorded or same
1: re-recorded okay oh yeah i never heard
0: it so i don't know it's, it's the one thing i don't own from you
1: yeah it's a it's a cool record and i mean you know the band was amazing you know it was david who's a fantastic um uh musician and and uh jen condos and jay belaros um we recorded it down at sonic ranch in tornillo texas okay. right on the border um but my headspace I think it just comes through on the record it's um so I put it out eventually just because I figured people could hear it there's a few songs that they wouldn't know on it uh and it's it's not a bad record it wasn't the record I needed at the time and um yeah uh, i Well, listen to it someday. Tell me what you think. I'll have to track it down first. (laughs) I put out a lot of records, basically, like, there was a period where, I mean, this is the thing, and it's why, another reason why I didn't think I'd be a performer, and especially I've had so many years without management, Um, I often finish a song and never play it again. Like, the writing is kind of the thing for me. I like performing, but I'll write a song, and if it, good songs where it's like, oh, it fulfilled its function. It's done. Okay. Why do you need to play it? You wrote <laughs> it. That's the important thing. And so, uh, and so they just sit there. And and and, <clears throat> uh, I've put out. I mean, I have a project called Plover that I did with Nielsen Hubbard and Garrison Starr. That's an EP. Uh, there's a band. I did a record with my friend uh, John Askew who recorded this record called Remote Tree Children. That's an intensely nerdy weird record did that actually come out i thought it ran i think it's on i think you can get it on yeah the streaming services now which i don't use but i mean i didn't have a record deal there's nobody to put them out so i just flick them out on you know cd baby or whatever and didn't have money for a you know publicist or anything so i kept making these records that were just kind of have one called options that's you know b-sides demos random things so i've done these projects that nobody knows about because (laughs) i just did them And kept moving on. And then I go back on tour with Toad and do my thing. And uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty old house, but uh, there are a few rooms that have holes in the ceiling. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there were some of the collaborations
0: that did come out. There's um, the, the stuff with Sean and Sarah with Christeli as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there's the Works Progress Administration Project, Flapping Flapping, which I didn't know about until recently, <laughs> singing with Vienna Ting on Land Sailor, which was uh, very beautiful. Oh, yeah, I, I love, love her. I love her as well. Getting,
1: I'm so glad she's touring again. I'm going to see her next month glad here in Ann
0: Can't wait. Um, is there somebody you haven't collaborated with that you'd like to do one of those kind of projects with?
1: Oh, lots of people. I mean,
0: not worth dreaming about right now
1: <laughs> I don't know, I mean uh, hey, I'll take whoever uh, but no, there are a lot of collaborations I'd like to do um, I mean there's just a lot of ideas I'd like to do on my own even uh, and I'm actually really excited right now about Toad Toad feels like a band for the first time in a long time and there's a camaraderie there um, our last album starting now I kind of regret uh, not forcing the issue more as far as songwriting goes. Um, uh, I want more collaboration on our next record uh, between us. I want us to, to feel more confident and safe in collaborating with each other. We've done a lot of like uh, distance writing together. Mm, okay. And uh, you know, it doesn't need to be the whole album, but I, I really want to get us together. The three of us working together more because we haven't uh, okay. uh, <clears throat> and it's yeah it's a it's not making good use of the resource of talent that we have uh, so good
0: point yeah Switching gears a friend of mine um, told me that you helped her get through the pandemic which with your shows that you were doing from home like it was you that made it okay oh, for her and that's... she wanted me to to ask you about how you how they helped you personally.
1: Oh, it totally got me through lockdown. So I was doing five shows a week. I would do a um, a stage at show on Sundays, and then I would do a, a community choir. I would do that with a loop pedal on Zoom, and people just sing along with me at home, and mm. I'd stack all the parts on the looper, and they'd sing. Uh, and then I found the uh, nonprofit donation button on Facebook, and... I figured it would only be you know a few weeks, right? So I started. I was doing five of those a week just to keep myself, and then I took it down to three. So uh, I did three shows a week, for probably close to eighteen months, um, and they were all uh, you know. Once again, there's that button so you could link it to a, a food pantry or yeah. a, a shelter, or um, and at some point. Uh, people were asking to tip me, so I put uh, like my PayPal and Venmo up, and that actually got me uh, made it so I could actually pay my rent through um, through lockdown, which was amazing and we raised probably around two hundred and fifty thousand for various uh, charities awesome. and uh, and this community kind of created itself in the chats of you know, people who would show up because, you know, we're all in there. What are you going to do tonight? Let's see what Glenn's doing. And so um, this really beautiful community started to arise of, of people checking in on each other, asking how they were doing, sharing their... And so a lot of it, I think part of what worked about it is I was showing up three times a week and sometimes I'd have a lot of hope and sometimes I'd be desolate. And... I think people got to have this mirror of my coming in as I was, uh, and you know, knowing that their ups and downs were okay, <laughs> you know, because they could see my ups and downs, yeah. and uh, and of having this community to talk to each other. And it was great for me. I played more guitar than I've ever played. I learned more cover- I learned more songs. I was writing a ton. It was great. I was also working on the Toad record from home. Um, so it kept me from disappearing into myself, which would have come at a very high cost. So uh, I, I, credit, I credit those live casts with me not going totally off the deep end during lockdown. Uh, and I think just having that regularity, that check-in, there's something about, like, you know, it doesn't ask a ton of you but there's something about having people to answer to wanting to see how people are knowing other people are having troubles checking in on them and okay. giving them support and that community aspect just really i think meant a lot to people uh, even people who weren't you know commenting heavily or whatever just to have something regular to check into and it's been amazing going on tour now and seeing all these people you know at the shows you know showing up with the friends they made on the live casts uh uh it's been uh it's been really beautiful there's i think we got a couple of marriages out of it nice uh <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so um you know i i i don't know a- and and i liked for myself getting to do it in a, as kind of a, an experience um or an experiment of not trying to be strategic about it um, i i had friends who you know and and uh, of course did well doing things like stage it or paid shows or and the thing you know i was doing the stage it thing as well but what really fascinated me was just having something that was open there wasn't a price tag on it if you weren't if you were struggling You could see every show and you could be part of it and there's no limitation put on you. And if you had extra at the time and you wanted to give to the nonprofits or if you wanted to tip me, like it was just kind of an open book. There was not a price tag. There was not a minimum anything. Mm. And and it made me really happy to see that that kind of anarchistic attitude uh, worked for everybody uh there's a lot of social experiments that you know some can be dismaying right and uh that one for me it just felt good to feel like everybody was taken care of uh just by letting it be and not trying to i don't know not trying to commodify um and you know i'm sure i left a lot of opportunity on the table that a savvier hustler would have picked up but i'm really happy that i didn't you know Even online, you know, there's so much like bling, you know, stars, tip jars, like all this stuff, running ads, like I just didn't do any of it. And I think part of it was that too. It was just, it was me sitting down playing songs for people and them talking to each other and just kept it simple, you know.
0: I've got about another hour worth of questions, but we're kind of out of time. So how about another song from the new record to close things out? Okay,
1: another song from the new record. I wonder what you'll do. Um, Would you like to look
0: at the record for ideas?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. How's that help? Oh, why don't I do... I don't know if... it's It's been funny to have a solo record where I did do more in production uh, because now it's this kind of awkward thing of like... They are harder for me to play solo acoustic. I, I didn't reduce them ahead of time, but I'll do. Uh, I'll do the first song, "Stone Throat."
2: So. It was the longest winter, and then the shortest spring. We need an endless summer. I want to spread my wings. I want the wild and the way. The subtle and quiet Maybe I'm too damn selfish Maybe you're too damn nice A stone throat can't sing A wooden heart won't beat I'm trying to find the balance Between the sacred and the street a stone throat can't sing, a wooden heart won't beat. I'm gonna meet you in the middle between the wanting and the need. I'm gonna fly to the mountains where I can wet my beat. In the clear, cool waters, of Texas Creek, I wanna take you with me. I want you by my side, feeling everything at once, and having nothing to hide. A stone throat can't sing. A wooden heart won't beat I'm trying to find balance Between the sacred and the street A stone throat can't sing A wooden heart won't beat I'm gonna meet you in the middle Between the wanting and the need a stone throw can't sing. I'm sick of letting you down. A wooden heart won't beat. You're tired of letting me go. A stone throw can't sing. I'm gonna meet you in the middle. A wooden heart won't beat.
0: It works
1: that way. I love it. Stone oh, through <laughs> You were you were hesitant. I cut out the instrumental parts.
2: There's this whole
1: <laughs> I haven't figured out a way to work uh, like I've tried it in three different positions on the fretboard and haven't figured out a way to do the internal melodies and with my hand being what it is. Mm.
0: So, that's a favorite of mine as well from the record. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you chose that one. I don't I, I assume that was another one that came from the song titled "Circle." Just, oh, all ten of yeah, all,
1: they all did. But just
0: "Stone Throw" was given to you. You had to interpret what that was. I like, had to
1: figure a, out what a stone throw was. <laughs> I'm like,
0: well, I don't know what a stone is. I, I don't gonna, know what it is I was going to ask you what the metaphor was, but you you just figured it out to relate it to the heart too. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, it's brilliant. Thank you again for all the time. One final weird question: yeah, have, yeah. You, have you ever checked into a hotel as Rex Stardust?
1: I have never checked into a hotel as Rex Stardust. Okay,
0: those people that don't understand what I mean, we'll look that up. Glenn, mm-hmm. thanks for the new record and for the time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank
1: it. you. It's such a pleasure to be back
0: with you. Acoustic Alternatives, look for the other podcasts that have been done over the last couple of years. Perhaps you uh, missed the one with Chuck Brodsky or Willie Porter, Brian Van Der Ark. They're all back there. Go check it out and uh, share this with your friends. And uh, Glenn, I will see you again, and I can ask you the rest of these questions. All right. <laughs> Take care. Uh, more Acoustic Alternatives at some point. Nothing else is booked yet.